And I just asked myself. What is important to me? Is it is is do do I associate myself with my breasts? Are my breasts an important part of me? Is it a big part of me? Hello everyone, I'm John and welcome again. Welcome back to That's What We Do. This is the 12th episode of our show. And today I'm actually recording from the outside. So if you have any background noises, you know, I'm actually in a cafe. <laughs> so if there is any background noises. Not uh, in an airport at a cafe, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, sounds, it sounds a bit like an airport. It might sound like an airport, but it's not an airport uh, because we're not allowed to like, you know, leave the country yet. But, I am, <laughs> but we're already allowed to be outside. Therefore, I'm sort of like in a cafe. So please do excuse the background noises. There you go. <laughs> so uh, with me today, I have a very special guest. Uh, her name is Baba. And Baba is actually a breast cancer survivor. So uh, she's... Uh, here to talk mainly about uh, her experience with breast cancer and also the mastectomy and a little bit about the reconstructive surgery and also problems with self-identity. So, uh, Baba, how are you today? I'm good. Um, what I didn't tell you is that I'm actually recovering from a separated shoulder. <laughs> Sorry, you're recovering from a what? From a separated shoulder. Wait, how does that work? What do you mean by a separated shoulder? So my so what happened was I fell off a skateboard trying to be cool auntie Baba with my nieces and nephews about two weeks ago and I didn't realize that um, the injury was quite bad and then last week I was baking and I had shooting pain up my arm and then I went for physio on Wednesday and the wow. physiotherapist was like your shoulder is not in place. <laughs> Okay, this this is so cool. So how how long have you been like on remission? It seems like you're like super active and like, you know, going on um, skateboards and jumping off. <laughs> I, I'm actually considered cancer free already. So I uh, was diagnosed in 2015. So it's been mm -hmm. six years. Yay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm past right. the remission period already. So I'm cancer free already. Yay. That's why right. I can like be out and about and be active and, and be on. And jump off skateboards. Yeah, and jump off skateboards and recover from a separated shoulder. <laughs> Yeah, once you've recovered from one thing, you've got other things to recover from. Yes, exactly. My doctor's like, you're supposed to take care of yourself. And I'm like, yes, I am. I'm trying to go on a skateboard and live my life. <laughs> so, so, Baba, a very quick question, right? Can you maybe take us through like your discovery of, you know, like how did you find out that you had breast cancer and what led to it? And maybe a little bit about your, you know, your story mm -hmm. about, you know, before 2015 and how this whole thing happened. Oh, okay, sure. So I, um, I was diagnosed in 2015 at the age of 25. So it was actually Valentine's Day um, wow. in, <laughs> in 2015 that I got diagnosed. Uh, and so what happened was I actually was bleeding from my nipple. And uh, so I had bloody discharge. And then I asked, actually, I, I consulted with a cousin of mine. And she said, oh, this is not normal because she's a doctor. And she told me to see a breast specialist, a breast surgeon, which is very different from a gynecologist, by the way. So a gynae would check your ovaries, your uterus, or anything to do with your reproductive parts. And a breast surgeon would actually check your breasts, which actually I didn't know there was a difference. So I went to see a breast surgeon and she did an ultrasound. 
And when she did the ultrasound, she found that there was a tumor in my breast and there was calcifications, which are like white, white spots, uh, calcium deposits. And she was like, okay, this is not normal. We'd have to do a biopsy and then confirm it. And then the next week, she, when she broke the news to me, I actually told my family over the weekend and everybody just like started bawling their eyes out because nobody knew how to react. We were just anticipating the news. And when I went to see the breast surgeon, I went with my mom and with my elder sister and she was like, oh, you have breast cancer. I just stood there like, okay. And she was like, okay, do you need some time to process this? I said, no, I want to go full force. I want to know what I'm up against. Like, just tell me. And she was like, okay, you need chemo, you need radiation, you need surgery done. Okay. So I was like, okay. All right. So I, I definitely need everything. She said, yes, you can't um, shy away from it because my cancer had already spread to my lymph nodes. Mm. So she said, you need to do a couple more tests to figure out what your treatment plan is. And then only um, we can sit again and discuss how long, what the, how many cycles, the duration. And that whole day I was just like, yeah, okay, I've got cancer. Yeah. Okay. I've, I'm mm. going to just like persevere through this. And this was all in a period of like one week, like within one week. That... Yeah, in a, it, within a period of one week. Wow. Yes, okay. so I, I found out, I made an appointment, and then I went to see my breast surgeon on a Thursday, and then on a Monday, I got my results. So this is really fast. Also, because I went to a private hospital, that's why. In a government setting, um, patients would sometimes have to wait a month, maybe to even see the doctor. Another month, mm-hmm. maybe to even get their results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and from that point to your surgery, how long was it? Like, and uh, what, what happened after that? You know? okay, so what happened was I actually broke down when I came home. Uh, I think it was a coping mechanism for me to just try and like, okay, I need to process all of this information at the doctors. Mm-hmm. And um, what I didn't tell you was that my dad had actually passed away a month before I was diagnosed. So being in a room with my mom receiving bad news after my mom losing her husband, I was just like, okay, I need to be strong for my mom. I need to put up a front for my mom. And then I came home and I was alone in my room and I just broke down. And that was when I started to actually process information. So um, had a chat. I think I had, I had tests done after that. I had CT scan. I had blood tests. I had um, an x-ray done. I had a mammogram done. And then the doctor was like, okay, I, I would recommend surgery first. So surgery was actually scheduled, I think, in two weeks. And I just wanted to rush through it. But I had a conversation with my brother. And he said, Hiba, I think you need to get a second opinion. We know you have cancer. Just get a second opinion on your diagnosis and on your treatment plan. So I was diagnosed with stage 2B breast cancer, which means that the tumor had already spread to my lymph nodes. And it would be spreading to my lungs next if I'm not careful. And I actually had a small lesion in my lungs, but the doctor couldn't figure out if it was cancer or if it was because I was sick. Because I, I had flu and I actually just wanted to rush through it. And my mom was like, yeah, just go and get the surgery done. Just go and get the surgery done. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to get a second opinion. And so I postponed my surgery. I went, I got a second opinion. And the doctor said, yeah, you, I mean, the diagnosis has not changed, but Let's see if you can do breast conserving surgery. So what that is, is, um, so there's two types of surgeries for breast cancer patients. One is a mastectomy, one is a lumpectomy. So a mastectomy is when you remove your whole breast, they remove everything. 
uh, a lumpectomy is when they only move the part of the tumor, so it'll only be partial removal of the breast. So some women uh, opt for a lumpectomy so that they have part of their breast with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, what we can do is we do chemo first, and then we see the tumor will shrink. If it shrinks, then we can see if you are uh, eligible for a lumpectomy. So I said, okay, fine, let's just see where this goes. Because I, at that point in time, I was trying to figure out what kind of surgery to get. And there were so many different types. I was reading up on so many different types of mastectomy, reconstructive surgery, what is lumpectomy. I had to ask different, different patients and I was so lost and confused. And on top of that, I was try still trying to deal with the fact that I have cancer. And um, a lot of the patients that I knew um, that I read up on either had a mastectomy or a lumpectomy. Um, and a lot of them had reconstructive surgery. Mm -hmm. And with reconstructive surgery, there are two types. One is uh, you, they remove the whole breast, but they keep the skin and they, they replace it with, they, they replace the breast with uh, silicon. Mm -hmm. So um, the silicon would then have to be changed maybe every 10 years. It's a very straightforward surgery. The surgery is only an extra one hour. So instead of a maybe, you know, two and a half surgery, two and a half hour surgery becomes like three and a half hours. You know, it's fairly straightforward and very minimal scarring. And another type is when you take the muscle from another part of your body. So you can take muscle from your stomach or your back or your thigh, and they reconstruct the whole breast with it. But again, they still keep the skin if the skin has not been affected by cancer. And that surgery is about eight hours long. But wow. Yeah, so, and the recovery <laughs> is much longer because you have mm. two wound sites to take care of. So as much, but as much as that surgery is eight hours long, some patients opt for it because number one, when you go for your x-rays, you can see clearly everything. There's, not, there's no like foreign object blocking. Number two, um, so some patients I think have side effects when they use a silicone for reconstructive surgery and then they go for radiation therapy. Some bodies actually reject silicon um, recon, uh, recons because it's a foreign object. Mm. So some patients don't have very good side effects when it comes to, to silicones. And then they opt for, you know, taking muscle from a different part of the body. Um, and then there's no replacement every 10 years. So it's just right. that one off eight hour surgery and the recovery. So I was just like, oh my God, there's so many different types of surgeries. And some patients actually opt to remove the whole breast first wait until they finish with the treatment and then we do reconstructive surgery. So, and I'm just like looking at all this information, like, yeah, you know, do with all this? you know, that, that got me thinking as well, because you know, like you, you're a fairly educated person, right? Mm -hmm. And even, even then, you know, that the weight of decision-making is placed on you as a patient, as it is, yeah. you already have cancer. And then now you've got to be like a semi-med student or yes, so it exactly. seems, right? So, so like, you know, and, and I'm wondering how is it going to be for somebody who's perhaps not that educated or do not have that kind of uh, knowledge, right? You know, yeah. and, you know, like, like, what do you, like, do you, do you feel that something has to be changed in that sense? Or, or can this whole process be improved so that, you know, people like you do not need to go through med school in order to, like, you know, <laughs> deal with their personal problems? <laughs> like, it, you know? it definitely was a challenge because there were so many different terms. And I had to read up on so many different side effects. So what helped me a lot was having somebody else read it for me 
and simplify things. So my brother and my then uh, husband were divorced now, but he was he was very helpful in the process. So what he did was he compiled everything because I just said I can't I can't do this I can't make the decision just like com- compress everything for me I can't do this. And then um, I think what he did was he actually like um, just wrote everything down the pros the cons what other terms so mastectomy lumpectomy and then different types and simplify everything. What are the pros and the cons? What are the side effects? And then that's so I imagine you had a you had an Excel sheet with yeah, all like these things. I had a little table, <laughs> I had, but that helped a lot because I needed somebody who could speak in my language, but also someone who could take the information, process it for me, simplify it. Because I'm already overwhelmed with the diagnosis. I have to already like prepare myself mentally for chemo, for radiation, for you know loss of a breast, for whatever it is that chemo is supposed to throw at me, and. Mm-hmm. So that helped me a lot. And what also helped me was the fact that my, my oncologist and my breast surgeon did not force me to come to a decision. Right. So they actually told me, okay, you make the decision on your own. We can help you with like, you know, simplifying things as well. But ultimately the decision is yours. We cannot make it for you. And so I was also thinking about doing chemo first and seeing whether my body responds to it. And what my oncologist explained to me was that what I would do is after every chemo cycle, I will check the breast. If Mm -hmm. the tumor does not shrink, then we would have to do surgery quickly. So at least we're not wasting time, we're not wasting money, and we would know whether the medication will work or not. Because if the tumor doesn't shrink or if it doesn't shrink much, it means that the, the cancer doesn't really respond well to the chemo meds that you're on. So I you know, mulled over the decision. And I thought, you know what, let me just do chemo first. There's not really a big difference anyways. And it would give me more time to think about my decision. So I did chemo first. I went through six cycles of chemo, very horrible six cycles of chemo, but I went through it. I went through a whole lot of memory loss, weight gain. Um, I went, I lost my hair. I had extremely bad fatigue. I had very, very bad body aches. I couldn't taste very well. So I had this very metallic taste in my mouth and everything tasted like paper. If anybody knows what paper tastes like. Um, I I went through six cycles of what was the hardest six cycles of my life. And how long was those six cycles in in terms of time? Mm, Okay. So it was about four months because how they calculate the chemo cycles is day one is the day of infusion. So I'd be in the hospital, I'd go through the infusion, which is about three hours, by the way, because there are so many different types of medication that I had to go through. And um, then I go home and then I wait maybe two and a half to three weeks until the next cycle. So that first day and the recovery period is one cycle. Each cycle is about two and a half to three weeks, depending on the recovery of each patient. So my first two cycles was about two and a half weeks. And then after that, my body just took longer to recover because my white blood count kept going down and I had some problems in between as well. So um, it took about four months. So I was diagnosed in February. And then in March, I had a chemo port put in, which helps with the chemo medication infusion. So instead of it going through an IV, um, like how you would normally do in a hospital when you're admitted, they put in a little device uh, so that they don't have to use my veins. So this little device um, is placed just below my collarbone underneath the skin. 
And it's actually connected to uh, a major vein of my heart. So the chemo meds go in, my heart pumps it to the rest of my body. So I'm very lucky because my body responded very well to the chemo port. Some people are not so lucky. Their body rejects the chemo port, like how they would a silicon. And um, I had no problems with my chemo port whatsoever. I had it in me for five years before I had it removed. And <clears throat> it actually helps with my whole chemo process because what happens when you put in chemo through in uh through your veins through your hands is that there is a chance that your veins what we call it may collapse uh so the chemo meds are very strong so it kind of um destroys your veins and after a while the veins become very dark and so when the vein collapses you have to find another vein so let's say if both your hands you know to me it all sounds really painful it, it is <laughs> it is it is a painful process which is why some patients when they can they use either a chemo port or a different kind of device so de- depending on the type of cancer that you have and the type of medication that you have to use there are different ki- kinds of ports so mine only has one there are people who have maybe two lines come out of it some people have three so it just it assists with the whole uh process mm. and um yeah so i went through my six cycles of chemo and then came time for me to decide again on my surgery so i had a chat with um my doctor again about what were my surgical options and she said okay your tumor has shrunk it shrunk from six centimeters i think to one and a half centimeters which is really good and then my breast surgeon said okay we can't do um breast conserving surgery on you so breast conserving and reconstructive is different. So breast conserving is the lumpectomy. Lumpectomy, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the lumpectomy where you remove uh, a part of it. part of your breast, yeah. So she said you're not eligible for it because in my breast after I went through uh chemo, my tumor shrank, but there's still calcifications. And if I right. leave those calcifications in my breast, there's a chance that, you know, the cancer might come back. So she said you would definitely have to do a mastectomy. Now you need to decide what kind of mastectomy you want. Do you want to do reconstructive surgery or not? Do you want to do um reconstructive surgery with the muscle? Do you want to do reconstructive surgery with silicon? You need to decide. And I was I had all these options in my head and I was like, oh, should I should I do this? Should I not? And it was still an equally difficult decision to make. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, I first need to decide. Do I want to do reconstructive surgery or not? I don't want to think about the types of reconstructive surgery yet. I want to think about whether I want it or not. And so I took some time, I went home, and I just asked myself, what is important to me? Is it is is do do I associate myself with my breasts? Are my breasts an important part of me? Is it a big part of me? And so throughout chemo, I had hair loss, right? I didn't have any hair. And it the the time that I shaved off my hair, I cried. But after I cried, I played with my niece. And my niece kind of looked at me really weird because I had no hair. And then mm-hmm. I started talking. And she was like, "Oh, okay, it's my auntie, you know? Like it's fine. She doesn't have any hair, but it doesn't make any difference." And she just like started touching my hair and she was like, "Oh, okay, like this is interesting." And the fact that she she was only one at the time, but the fact that she could still love me without hair, the fact that it didn't ca- that she didn't care I didn't have hair. That had a huge impact on me, my self-esteem, my recovery. 
because she still accepted me with or without hair. And I was just like, actually, it's not so bad. And my hair will grow back anyways. And I did little things to make myself feel better. Like I did henna on my head. That's, it's what we call a henna crown. So I did it twice on my head. And then I went to chemo with like henna, uh, like a henna tattoo on my head. And it was, it was really fun, actually, because I, I, felt, I felt creative. I felt beautiful. I felt really pretty at that time. And it made the experience all the more fun. So when I was deciding on whether to get reconstructive surgery or not, I thought about that moment. I thought about, you know, not having hair and not having hair and people actually seeing that part of me. It's, it's visible, right? Not having hair. And, and hair is also a big part of someone's identity. And I thought, you know what? I never really cared or, you know, it doesn't really, it didn't really matter to me how I looked. So even on a daily basis, I would just do things that make me feel good. I would just wear things that make me feel good. It didn't matter what, you know, um, it, it's all about how, how I felt rather than, you know, what people think and things like that. So um, when I looked at my breasts, I actually thought, mm, actually, it doesn't matter to me so much having a breast or not. Plus, I have very small boobs, so people won't notice anyways. <laughs> and... Um, when I had this discussion with my doctor, I said, Doc, I don't want to do reconstructive surgery. And she was like, what? Are you sure? And I said, why do you look so shocked? And she said, a lot of young women want to do reconstructive surgery because it really does affect their self-esteem because growing up, you were taught that, okay, your breasts are what differentiate you from being a man. And your breasts are what make you a woman. What breasts are, your breasts are what makes you feel good. And to be honest, it, it wasn't the physical aspect of it that got to me. What I really thought of was breastfeeding because I want more than anything to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, this would affect, you know, my breastfeeding journey when I eventually or if I eventually become a mom. And it was hard for me to accept that I had to lose my breast. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that whatever it is, I had to remove my breast. And so I asked my doctor, do I need to remove both? Because some patients do. Do I need to remove both or do I need to remove one? And she said, you only need to remove one. You can keep the other side for breastfeeding. And so my discussion with her was more on breastfeeding. And I asked her, would it affect my baby when you know I have kids and I want to breastfeed? Would my body be able to cope? Because women usually change when they're breastfeeding. They uh, change uh, from the left breast to the right breast when it comes to feeding. And she said, you know what? The body is a beautiful thing. Your body adapts when you have a baby. And there are patients who only breastfeed with one breast. And it's more than enough for the baby because your body knows what to do. And so I thought, oh, okay, that's really interesting. And I started reading about it as well. And a lot of women who only have one breast don't have problems with breastfeeding. And so I thought, okay, that's, that's the part that was important for me, not how I looked but the breastfeeding Mm. part. And I made sure that I had a thorough discussion with my doctor. I had a thorough discussion with my family and I had a a thorough discussion with my then husband. And all of them reassured me that whatever decision that I made, it had to be for me and they will support it. So there was was that support as well. Yeah. So there Mm. was no like, oh, you have to do reconstructive surgery because if you do it, you'll be less of a woman. No. None mm. of that at all. And I was you know, so very grateful. You know, this is interesting because I'm listening to you and there's like so much to unpack, right? So mm-hmm. if, if I could like, you know, paraphrase what you said, essentially 
there was that moment with your niece that made mm-hmm. you that it sort of reminded you that you are enough. Number one is yeah. that you're enough. You're not you're not the sum mm-hmm. of your parts in some sense, right? Exactly. And 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 you know you're you're more than just any one part of you, right? Yeah. And I think that's you know to be honest, that's a realization that you know people take like years of therapy to come mm-hmm. by that realization, and it's quite yeah. it, it's quite stunning. Like to me, I find that to be really beautiful. It's it's quite interesting that your experiences have brought you to that point, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and the fact that you could make a decision that is sort of that sort of it 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 comes from the realization that you are more than the parts of you, and there's something more to you than just that, right? So yeah. like here, here's my question for you: How would you like, how is someone else who, who's like, you know, probably going through that same journey, what would your advice be for that person to, to, to in some sense, be able to see themselves the way you saw yourself at that point? Like, how, how would you like, you know, even, even lead them to that? Um, okay, so I am very lucky that I'm surrounded by people who are extremely supportive. So finding good support finding the support that you need is extremely important okay I think, cool. yeah. so so going back to that point right uh, i think i think uh yeah so what what would your advice be for those other people who you know how, how would you be able to guide them to that same realization that you got i think i think that's that's where we need to to start from uh, okay so um I, i'm very lucky that i am surrounded by a really good support system so number one would be to surround yourself with people who have your best interests at heart, who are not trying to put you down, who don't give a negative impact to your life. Because I did have friends who, you know, as soon as they found out I had cancer, they disappeared. Or friends who gave me empty promises and said, oh, yeah, I'll come visit, but they never did. Friends who commented on my decision to, to remove my breast completely. And they're just like, why? Why would you want to do that? Like, so it's, I mean, I understand that it is as difficult for the people around you to go through it as it is for you to do it. But essentially, you need to surround yourself with good people who can push you forward and can bring you up rather than bring you back. So being selective of those group of people actually helped me a whole lot. I am very, very selective of who I bring into my inner circle. I'm extremely friendly. I can be friendly with people, but those that really know these parts of me and can have these kind of conversations with me, I'm very selective about. And doing that, it helped me with my decision-making. It helped me with my self-esteem. And going for therapy helped as well. So there are are some people that you need to sort of cut out from your inner circle. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know it's easier said than done, especially if it's family members. So when it comes to family members, what I, what I did was I would take their advice with a pinch of salt. And then I'll remember that they're as scared as you are. There is, they're probably afraid that, you know, oh my God, if she doesn't have a breast, it will be difficult for her to find a partner. That's number one. My mom actually had that concern. Um, and I, I had a talk with her about it, but she, she never forced me to come to a decision, but she did tell me that she is concerned about it. Um, number two, they would probably think, oh, what would, what would other people think that she's sick? You're sick anyways. Like you're having cancer. So ha- not having your breast wouldn't change the fact that you have cancer. And I also know that when it comes to finding a partner, if your partner is 
not going to love you for who you are, then do you really want to be with somebody like that? So with, with family and with, you know, people that you really cannot cut out of your life, I just take that their advice with a pinch of salt. And then with whatever people that do have my best interest at heart, you know, and do um, think, do care about my opinion of things, that's who I have the discussions with, you know, and I would process things with them. And right. it's, it, at the end of the day, I just need somebody to process the information with. You don't have to make a decision for me. I need mm. to make that decision. And because I made that decision for myself, I don't have any regret at all about my mastectomy. And to, I, I understand it's very difficult to get to that point. And that, I mean, that's, that's the best advice that I can give someone, to really surround yourself with people who can support you, who can support the decisions that you make and who won't like, you know, put you down and belittle your decisions because your opinions matter. Your decisions matter. It is your body. It is nobody else's body. Whether you do reconstructive surgery or not, having a mastectomy or, or a lumpectomy, all of these decisions are your decisions and they don't make you any less of a woman. It does not affect who you are as a person. It really doesn't. You're still a woman. So, you know, you're alive. You're, you're, you're still beautiful, you know? So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to make decisions for yourself and be happy about it. Yeah. So Baba, I'm just want to, I'm just going to go to the, like maybe, maybe one of the interesting things that I would like to cover, which is towards the end. It's more about the aspect of grief. I think we spoke about it a little bit in the pre-chat as well. So, uh, you know, and you also mentioned that you went for therapy as well. So maybe you could share a little bit about what, what does grief look like when it comes to, uh, you know, surviving breast cancer and how did you cope with it? Um, okay, so I actually didn't realize that I was grieving until my, I think my mastectomy, or I think to like towards the end of my mastectomy recovery, uh, because after surgery, uh, when they wheeled me out of the OT and I went back into the room, the first thing I did was I just, I just touched my breast and I was just like, oh my God, it's not there. And then I cried. I, I didn't realize that I would cry because in my head, I'm like, yeah, this decision is for myself. You know, like I'm, I'm one step closer to being cancer free. So, you know, I, I went into the OT happy that I was moving forward with my treatment and it, I wasn't moving backwards. And I woke up and I just started crying. What is this feeling? And I just, I allowed myself to cry. Um, I think the whole day I was just on and off because I was also groggy from medication and when I went back and I was recovering, because it was um, bandaged, I didn't really see it until the doctor removed it. And then I saw a big scar across my chest. And I just took a deep breath in front of the mirror and I was like, okay, I got it removed. There's no turning back. And there would be times that I would look at myself in the mirror and I would cry and I would feel sad and I would feel angry. And I was, I processed this with my family. I processed this with my friends and with my ex-husband. And I was like, why am I feeling like this when I had made a decision on my own? And then I started um, reading up on things and I realized I was grieving. It is, I mean, as much as my breast doesn't change my identity as a woman, it doesn't 
change the fact that I am a woman. It was a part of me and I lost a part of me. It was a part of me that I had for 25 years. And so I needed to grieve the loss of that part of me the same way that I did with my hair. That's why I cried when, I, when my hair got shaved off because it was a part of me. And so I allowed myself to feel whatever that I felt. I allowed myself to cry for the loss of my breast. And I told myself that it's okay. It's okay for me to cry. It's okay that I am grieving. It's okay that I'm grieving. It's okay that I look different. It's okay that I have all of these mixed emotions, these not so pleasant emotions, these uncomfortable emotions. Because this is me trying to accept the changes that I'm going through. And it was fine. And I'm very thankful as well that my family members didn't tell me, oh, stop crying. You know, you were the one that made the decision. No, they never told me that. They always, whenever I cry, they're like. They were supported yeah, you, for you. you, you they, they always reminded me, you went through something huge, Kiva. You're meant to cry. It's fine. That's a normal reaction to things. It's okay. And when I went for therapy, I started going for therapy, I think in 2016, maybe end of 2016 or early 2017. I don't remember. Um, I processed this with my therapist as well. And she said, um, you know, people always think that there is a template to how they are supposed to react to things. But essentially there isn't. You cannot control how you feel. You can probably, you know, control your reaction to things, but you cannot control how you feel. So if you feel sad, you feel sad. And if you're going to cry because you feel sad, that's a normal response to things. It's okay. And... So there is no right or wrong when it comes to um, feelings. And she always reminds me that grief is not linear. It's not, you know, that five stages of grief is not right, just like... Right, right. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You'll probably go, you know, from anger to denial to sadness. Then back, back to, to anger. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just like, it'll be a whole long way to get to acceptance. And even though, even when you get to acceptance, you might just, you know you know you might step back you know a few paces and go back to the whole process again and but I also realized that in grief there is growth that's when I start to learn about myself that's when I start to learn about the different parts of myself that's when I start to see myself in a different light so there are times now that I look at myself in the mirror and instead of you know crying or being sad I am grateful I'm just I'm grateful to be alive I'm grateful I think this is something that a lot of people forget to do. To remember that your body is there to protect you. Mm-hmm. It is there yeah. to keep you alive. It protects your heart. It protects your lungs, your liver, all of that. You know, it protects you. And your body is very resilient. So a lot of people forget that that's the function of the body. That's the basic function of the body to keep you alive and to protect you. And keeping that in mind, I sometimes look at myself and I hug myself and I tell my body, thank you for all that you've gone through, for bringing me through cancer, for bringing me through chemo, for bringing me through six surgeries. I've gone through six surgeries, by the way, John. Um, mm-hmm. And for bringing me to who I am today. And I'm extremely grateful for that. So I and see a lot of self-compassion and self-acceptance along the way, right? Mm. Gestures of, you know, like you hugging yourself and you being yeah. able to tell yourself, to, you know, it's okay to feel. I think, yeah. I think that's, that's really, uh, I mean, for me as, a, as an outsider, I, I can't even imagine how it would be like to go through that. 
but you know, I'm I'm sure it's like it's like how I guess one of the questions that I have in mind is also like how did you come to that whole point of self acceptance? That's that's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, how would you advise other people, like, along the way to get to that point, right? What mm-hmm. What can they do, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it took me, uh, I think, four or five years to get here, to get to where I am now. Before that, I was a wreck. <laughs> I went through depressive episodes. I was suicidal at one point because it was so difficult for me to cope with my bodily changes. It was so difficult for me to cope with um, you know, the side effects of treatments. I just wanted to get back to my normal self. I wanted to get back to, you know, what I, why, what I will call, call normal is pre-cancer. I wanted to go back to that and just forget the journey that I was going through. And what I did before was to keep everything to myself, to just like not tell people what I'm going through, not tell people how, how I feel, not tell people, you know, the pain that I'm going through the sadness that I'm going through and how difficult it is. It was so, so tough for me to actually voice it out. And I think this is a very common problem that patients have. They don't want to tell people because they don't want to burden people. They don't want to feel like a burden. They're like, oh no, if I tell my family how I'm feeling, you know, Christian, you know, that, then they'll have to help me and I don't want to menusahkan them. That is what they're, they're, try- they're trying to manage other people's emotions, right? Yes, in some of sense. their own, they will try and manage other people's emotions. And... That's not good. If you're going through therapy, it may be, it's maybe okay because you have someone to talk to. But while you're going through treatment, usually patients don't go to therapy because you don't have the physical capacity to go. You're tired, you're recovering. And so that's usually not part of the whole plan just yet. And what I, I had this talk, um, I think with my friends, and I, I told them, you know, one day, like, I, I'm feeling like crap. And I told them, like, I don't want to tell my family. I don't, I don't want to show them, you know, that I am feeling like this. And they said, Kiba, if you don't tell them, they won't be able to help you. And I said, yeah, because I don't want them to help me. I don't want to menusakan them, you know. I don't want to burden them because they're already going through so much. And then they said, you know, whenever you tell us how you feel and we help you, it makes us feel like, okay, I can do something. It gives us a sense of purpose. If not, then we're constantly thinking, how can I help my friend? How can I help someone that I love? You know, if I can't help her, I feel helpless. So that made me realize that telling the people around you what you were going through and giving them the opportunity to help you makes them feel involved, gives them a sense of purpose, makes them feel like, okay, I can do something. At least I can do something. Even if it's just giving me a glass of water, I can do something. So there was one day that um, after one of my chemo cycles, uh, one of my sisters couldn't really help me out so much because she was pregnant. So after one of my chemo cycles, uh, we booked a hotel room because I just needed a change of environment. And I was just like, I, I just want to stay in a hotel for three days. It doesn't even have to be an expensive hotel. I just need a change of environment. I can't be home. So she was like, okay. I haven't had the opportunity to take care of you. Let me do this. Let me just stay at a hotel with you for three days. And so we did. And what's funny was that whatever side effects I was having, she was also having because she's pregnant. <laughs> so she would have nausea and I would have nausea. She would have fatigue and I have fatigue. And I'm like, we're useless. Like, oh my goodness. But again, it gave her a sense of purpose. And it gave me a sense of purpose as well. 
to help her while she's going through her own, you know, thing, her pregnancy. And it felt good. And both of us came out of it feeling good, feeling like we've helped each other. And it actually brought us closer. So I guess it's also about allowing people to help you, right? Yes, that's that's exactly. really one of the important points here. Exactly, yes. So that that was a game changer. And it, it's, a, it's something a lot of patients don't do because they're like, oh, I don't want to be a burden. But mm-hmm. you're not being a burden. You're asking for help. And you're allowing somebody the opportunity to help you. And you're giving them a sense of purpose as well as they do that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. And another thing was going to therapy. I mean, going, going for therapy helped me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. People always have this impression that, oh, you know, if I go for therapy, you know, it means that I'm crazy. No, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going for therapy like how I would go to see my doctor. I have a lot of weight on my shoulders. I have so many things on my mind. And um, there's a difference between going to a psychiatrist and going to a psychologist. You know, I, I, wanted, I specifically wanted to go to a psychologist. I wanted talk therapy. And going into it, I didn't know what kind of therapist to look for. So I was just like, okay, so what I did was I went to Monash. I uh, went to see uh, one of the students there because they have that, uh, like a training program for the students there. And right? when they're going through their practical, I think. Um, so I just emailed them and I said, I, I don't know what issues to address. I just need to see a therapist. So I went there and I saw one of the students and she was amazing. I was processing so many things with her. I, would, I, said, I just started talking and talking and talking. And she was just like, wow, you've gone through a lot, a whole lot. And I cried as well and I just realized like oh my god this feels so good I didn't realize how much I needed to just talk and talk to somebody who doesn't know my background and is not biased and so I I continued to go for therapy and it was only because of continuous therapy that I figured out oh there are certain parts that I need to address that I didn't know that I needed to address specific parts and so, so there was like some kind of uh, insight that you gained from, from therapy yeah. itself. Mm. Yeah. So, and I mean, um, when I talk to people about therapy, some people come to me and say, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to go for therapy, number one, because, you know, there's this taboo about it. Number two, because they're like, oh, a therapist will not fix my problem. Mm. And that, but that's not the point, isn't it? Yeah, it's a misconception that people have. And... I also thought that, I, I mean, I, I admit, like in the beginning, I also thought like, oh, okay, if I go to therapy, you know, all my problems will be fixed. Mm-hmm. But I, then I realized that, no, your therapist is not there to fix your problems. What they will do is they will take the whole mess of shit, for lack of a better word, <laughs> in your head and break it down for you so that you can see clearer. C- clearer. Right. You, know, you, can, you, can, you can clearly clearly see all the different parts of mess that was in your head and then you can address things one by one and when in your, saw, at your own time right exactly at your own time and when i saw that i could do that in therapy i was just i was amazed i was like oh okay so i actually have a lot of things that i need to address but i can do this one first when i've done this one i can do another one and then another one and then another one so it's very focused and that helped me a whole load and it helped with my depressive episodes it helped with my suicidal tendencies. My suicidal tendencies were quite bad. And I was staying uh, at the time with my mom. And I always felt like I wanted to just jump off the house. I mean, it's, it's just a three-story house. But I had days where I would sit by the window and I just wanted to jump off. 
And mm-hmm. when we moved into a condo, I, I lived on the 19th floor. And so there were days that I felt like that as well. And I was just like, I just want to jump off and, and everything. I am so tired. I'm so frustrated. I, I want to end the pain that I'm going through and the frustration that I'm going through. And I'm so glad you didn't because then, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And, and a lot of people would not be actually getting what they would get from, from this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so we we're, we're down to, sorry, we're down to the last like three minutes. In. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and I'm a bit rushed for time. Okay. Uh, I just have a very quick question. You know, maybe maybe this can be a point where where we could end, right? I just I just want to ask you. So, like, let's say if there are people out there who have this problem, who, who mm-hmm. might be, you know, they, they don't really know where to start. Like, how, how do I even, like, if I'm seeking for treatment for breast cancer, right? Let's say, mm-hmm. where where do you where do you suggest that women start? Maybe maybe we can end with that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, if you go to a hospital, they usually have those screening packages. So if, if you've never gone to a doctor before, which some women you know, are going through, they have those screening packages where they will put in like your blood test, your ultrasound, your mammogram and things like that. And if you are younger than the age of 40, you are required to do an ultrasound, not a mammogram, because your breasts are still, um, how do you say? Uh, if, if, you, if you are younger than the age of 40, if you, if you do a mammogram, the scans will not be so clear. Uh, so that's why they do an ultrasound. And if you are over the age of 40, then they will recommend a mammogram. So you go through those screening packages and you find one that has an ultrasound for it. And then you go and see, I think they will refer you to a GP that is in charge or an MO that is in charge at that particular hospital. And they will go through everything with you. What you can also do is to get a second opinion, you take all your results, you see a breast surgeon, not a gynae, a breast specialist, because a breast specialist will then be able to focus solely on your breast. If you are also, for example, you have major problems with your breasts and you cannot wait at a government hospital, what I sometimes recommend patients to do is to go to a private hospital and just do an ultrasound with a breast surgeon. It, I know it costs a little bit more, like it costs maybe 250 to 300 ringgit, but just go for the initial scan. At least you know what is wrong and you save yourself time. And then you take that scan and you take it to the government hospital and then you do your treatments all in the government hospital. At least then you have that peace of mind when it comes to time as well and you know what is going on with your body. So number one, you go to your... A doctor do a screening package. Number two, you see a breast specialist. If you already are seeing a doctor or a gynae, you get your gynae to refer you to a breast specialist and then you take it from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I guess I guess that's that's quite insightful. And thanks, thanks for also sharing us, you know, the whole process. And thank you very much for actually spending time to talk about this because <laughs> I think a lot of people out there would definitely benefit from what you've said and it's really really complex i wish i could talk to you a lot longer because i feel like you know there are certain elements that we've not really gone through in we've not really gone because as deep was, as we, we could we can have another but like session to talk about like other we things. should yeah yeah we should yep, yeah we, we should. should yeah yeah and yeah so i think i think that's all for today's episode mm-hmm. uh thanks for listening in to us and that's what me, we John. do right thanks eva <laughs>